Hello and welcome to the July edition of Rich Pickings, Fidelity's Asset Allocation Podcast. I'm Richard Edgar, Editor-in-Chief, and today I'm in the garden just outside Fidelity's Cannon Street office, a small oasis in the city of London. And if you're looking for oases, then you've come to the right place, for we have an unadulterated sanctuary of thought and investment reflection in this month's podcast as our asset allocation team takes stock ahead of the summer break. Hard-to-read market sentiment, grit in the system, and trade wars are all discussed. Rich pickings indeed. Well, joining me in the studio are three of the multi-asset team. First of all, welcome to Charlotte Harrington, markets analyst. Now, Charlotte, this month I want to know, what is the one thing you wish you had known at 21? I think I wish that I had known how valuable it would have been to know a second language. Beyond English? Yes. And and which language? Oh, um, Chinese. And why? Because it's so, will be, and is increasingly widely spoken. Absolutely. Okay, well, um, also here is portfolio manager Bill McQuaker. Now, what would you tell your 21-year-old self? I, I wish I'd known that Scotland would only appear in the World Cup once or twice more in my life <laughs> and uh, that I should enjoy it while it lasts. Well, uh, just to explain, we're recording this um, uh, very shortly after England's disappointing exit from rather further along in the uh, in the World Cup. But never mind. And welcome back, um, Anna Stupnitska, global economist, um, Ukrainian fan, I imagine. Um, and uh, you've been away for some months. Uh, what hot tip would you give your younger self? I think um, I wish I had known that the value of time only rises over the years. Uh Time becomes really precious and you don't know um, that this is the case when you're young. Uh, an investment indeed to uh, to save it while you have it. Right, well, thank you all for being here. And um, Anna, I'll start with you, if I may, and the allocations this month. Has anything changed? Has the group changed its positions at all? Nothing has changed. Uh, we had uh, uh, a long discussion about what uh, we want to do, but we decided uh, uh, to uh, stay neutral on equities, underweight fixed income and overweight cash. Um, and it seems that uh, uh, right now there is not much appetite to add or, in fact, uh, take risk off the table. Uh, so we decided to keep the current allocation. Okay, well, um, on that theme of risk, is, uh, I've been talking to somebody else about this because our regular listeners may have noticed that we're missing one of our stalwarts. Uh, the chief investment officer of the multi-asset team, James Bateman, uh, is travelling this week, but I managed to catch up with him a little bit earlier about what he thinks is driving sentiment. Welcome to the Fidelity Conferencing System. Please enter the conference ID, followed by hash. The interesting thing at the moment in markets is that we know we're getting to the summer low volume period. We know that typically a relatively small moves in sentiment can be amplified by that, that relatively low volume. And we know a couple of other things. We know that the data is, is softening. Our base case on the data is it's softening but moderating and, and it's not going to be a major slowdown. We also know that there's a bifurcation between the US and the rest of the world and that the data in the US is much stronger. So, so that could suggest in a, in a way you're more comfortable in the US. The slight challenge there is clearly that the U.S. is being driven by, by the fangs and technology in general, um, and that narrowness of market is clearly a concern to us. Additionally, when we think about the, um, the drivers of markets over the coming months, at some point a period of risk aversion looks likely. Trump is stepping up his rhetoric on, on a trade war and indeed stepping up his actions, and there are probably going to be further retaliatory actions. And whilst our medium-term outlook is that this will be a, a storm in maybe quite a large teacup. In 
the shorter term, that really could weigh on markets and, and particularly specific sectors or areas if it looks like they're going to be targeted. So the base case for us is there is a limited thesis for being overweight equities at the moment, but a, a very strong rationale for buying on any perceive any actual weakness that comes through um, over the, the summer period. Um, and again, as I said last month, I think there's a reasonable chance that we will move back to an overweight position in equities come September, October time, um, assuming markets uh, pair their gains a bit over the summer lull. Please state your name after the tone. Well, that was James Bateman speaking to me a little bit um, earlier. Um, Anna, essentially, this is a repeat of uh, something he said a little while ago, which was um, uh, sell in May and go away. Well, looking at um, the uh, macro data, at least, uh, uh, we see that uh, uh, the fundamentals are not deteriorating very fast, but um, not accelerating either. And this has been the case, as indicated by our leading indicator um, now for a few months um, so it's it's not it's not very different we think the data uh, is probably finding some flaw right now on a global basis uh, but it's hard to, to have a very strong conviction either way so Charlotte you're not particularly concerned then if uh, the fundamentals seem to have sort of settled where they are at the moment I don't think the fundamentals have settled where they are at the moment I think we've had one month of sideways um, after several months of decline and and if you sort of smooth that data as, as I think we do in most of our uh, models and, and so on um, actually the, the direction of travel for growth at the moment is still lower uh, James alluded to it earlier that the US stands out as having held up much better than everywhere else and I think that becomes a critical question for us going forward is can the US maintain that strength given the rest of world weakness uh, and I think even there we're starting to see perhaps some very, very early and, and, and you know, too hard to really make a big call on it, but some very early signs that businesses in the US are particularly concerned about trade. Uh, and there are some some constraints within within the market there. Well, so. we'll come to trade in a minute, but let me bring um, Bill in. Where, where are you on all this? Because um, you're actually running uh, <laughs> portfolios, of course. Are you... Uh, waiting and seeing um, uh, through the summer for uh, for how we're positioned once everyone comes back after the summer holidays? Well, uh, my my stance at the moment is um, on the defensive side in the round. Um, I'm a bit more cautious on equities than some of my colleagues um, and a bit more uh, biased towards the, the bond market. To explain why, um, I think uh, Anna talked about the lead indicators and the slowdown in global growth and that's certainly been uh, important for me. Um, other developments, higher oil prices, higher interest rates, um, a stronger dollar, these are uh, conventionally uh, quite challenging episodes for markets and in- encourage one to, to err on the side of caution. Um, as C- far could you see that changing though? Could you see yeah. us getting through the next couple of months? Uh, I, I, I think there is a, a risk to, to Charlotte's point that the US data deteriorates um, and uh, I think that would be unwelcome for markets. There's also this uh, this building narrative around trade that's not particularly helpful. The, the silver lining, uh, particularly to deterioration in US growth, is that we, we could see some of those uh, variables I mentioned a moment ago that are currently uh, at settings that are headwinds for global growth uh, move in a friendly fashion. So a, a lower oil price, lower long-term interest rates, a weaker dollar 
um, could actually set the scene for uh, for asset prices to, to swing up from the end of the summer onwards. I think what's also really interesting about the last few months is that whilst you might look at a chart of global equities and think, oh, everything looks fine, if you drilled down a bit deeper and you looked at some of the sectors, you've seen defensive sectors do much better. If you looked at regions, you've seen the higher beta regions before much worse so emerging markets have been particularly punished uh, in currency world you've seen some of the most unloved and, and somewhat uh, defensive currencies do a bit better particularly the dollar uh, and, and so actually that sort of shift in mindset has played out it's just played out in different parts yeah. of the market but uh, but i think if you look at the mood of the markets in in the round i, I would contend that uh, the consensus view today is that we've had a bit of a slowdown but things are stabilising and that risk appetite remains reasonably healthy in the round. There, there are what I sometimes refer to as cracks in the ice, these problems in emerging markets and uh, in one or two sectors and, and so on. But these are viewed as being the exception rather than the rule. Um, to go back to your question, what would get me more excited about buying risk? Uh, I'd, I'd like to see the market become a bit more, uh, a bit more frightened uh, of what's going on. Uh, for sentiment to deteriorate. Uh, and At which then, point you'd step in? Well, uh, one can never say with absolute certainty that's the you case. You might step but, in. Uh, but I think there's, uh, one would have to take that, uh, that possibility much more seriously in, in those circumstances, yes. Well, Anna, um, are you seeing the same sort of uncertainty or um, are you taking more uh, comfort from, uh, from, from the data? I think um, it's quite helpful to stay away from the markets for a few months and then to come back and assess uh, what's happening uh, with a fresh pair of eyes. And uh, when I came back and I looked at the uh, the, the sentiment that um, Bill has just mentioned uh, versus the, the data, it's a bit surprising to me how bearish the sentiment is because even though we have seen some growth deceleration uh, globally or ex-US, uh, uh, growth is still well above trend uh, in most countries, including the euro area, uh, perhaps uh, China as well, d- uh, despite the slowdown. Um, so, uh, yes, growth is slower, uh, but we are not nearing a recession, uh, not in, in the US and, and not in any other significant country. And yet everybody seems to be on tenterhooks See, of, of not I, entirely, I, not I, entirely I, I would accepting dis- that. I would disagree with the view that uh, sentiment is bearish. I don't, I don't think sentiment is bearish. Um, I, I think expectations are still for risk assets to deliver positive returns in 2018 uh, and for the system to, to hold together. Um, I've, I've been through bearishness um, and believe me, this is far from a bearish environment. When, when, when people are bearish, uh, you, can, you can feel a very... Uh, heightened level of tension and, and fear in markets. But it's not uh, bullish, I, I, bullish. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's not bullish, bullish. Absolutely not. Um, or relative to a year ago? Uh, relative to a year ago, I'd say that we were not much different um, versus a year ago. The difference is that things were accelerating, picking up a year ago. Uh, today, uh, we've passed the peak. Um, things are slowing down. And whilst the level uh, of various indices 
indicators might be the same as it was a year ago, uh, you have to be cognizant of the fact that uh, we've we've passed the peak. You know, it's it's like um, when Napoleon went to uh, to Moscow. Um, he, he went through various places on the way there and he went through the same places on the way back. The mood on the way back was very different from the mood on the way there. <laughs> I think also you look at positioning, asset manager positioning, and actually people are still generally overweight equities, they're still underweight bonds. Uh, so even if they might be more cautious in what they're saying, it's not necessarily being reflected in, in those fund weights. Are, uh, they, are they being more cautious in what they're buying in that overweight equities? Are they being more selective, do you think? I think people are still broadly long the emerging markets and and probably uh, selling them as 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 this year's progressed um certainly that's what that data would indicate if if that's kind of em i guess is a good indication of people's risk appetite um and furthermore i think you also have to take that cyclical slowdown and and kind of overlay what valuations look like which is very high uh, on a cyclically adjusted basis and so in that environment when valuations are high and growth's rolling over it does make you a little bit more worried Okay, well, let's um, move on to something you've already spoken about, um, uh, Charlotte, which was the trade war, uh, which is ramping up uh, as we speak, actually, between um, US and China. How worried should we be about this? Because um, initially, people were very sanguine that, you know, the, the, the first round of, um, of tariffs that were being um, announced, you know, didn't really make any difference. They were just uh, a little blip on the, um, on the charts. But it, it does seem to be getting more serious. No, I think that's right. The the initial uh, announcements were very much written off as Trump just doing what he does and, and sending tweets out and not really doing much about it. Uh, and that hasn't really proved to be the case, I don't think. Certainly from a sentiment impact, I think there's a negative sentiment in- impact to, to what's going on from an asset market perspective. Uh, and then the secondary sort of, I guess, thing you have to think about is what how does that actually affect the, the data? And I think it does affect the way that... Uh, businesses behave and how they think about investing and if we look at China China's already cyclically slowing uh, so so I do think it, it makes the, the Chinese economy look very vulnerable at the moment. Um, Bill on the trade wars you described this as being the grit in the system what, what did you mean? Uh, what I mean is that uh, we've we've enjoyed um, a very smooth uh, free-flowing trade environment and uh, a macroeconomic environment for the last 30 35 years markets have been dominant and uh, efficiencies have been sought out by by companies and uh, and everyone's benefited uh, the notion of applying tariffs uh, and uh, and slowing uh, global trade uh, and encouraging companies to to favour domestic production over uh, production in the, the lowest cost environment. Those kind of developments uh, are, in a sense, the equivalent of putting grit in the global economic machine. Uh, you, you're in, in, in encouraging inefficiencies into the system. And, and, and that's, that's what I meant when I made that comment. Anna, would you expect this, or when would you expect this to start showing up in the in the data? Uh, well, it's really hard to say because of uh, various uncertainties, not just uh, um, the, the, the size of uh, the tariff, the amount, but also uh, the um, retaliation uh, by China or other countries and what products uh, are affected and what's, what's the substitution elasticity. There are so many... Uh, 
variables that you would need to know to precisely estimate the impact. But various estimates suggest that actually the the macro impact uh, is relatively benign, uh, could be relatively benign in terms of growth and inflation. Um, but uh, I also think uh, um, if we assume that this is going to to be a, a protracted affair. Either it's not the midterm election uh, thing, it's actually going to uh, continue over the next two years. Um, uh, perhaps in some sense like Brexit, uh, we are not going to get a big negative shock in the next quarter because of this. It's going to last for a long time and perhaps slowly put downward pressure on GDP and upward pressure on inflation, but it's not a, a one-quarter phenomenon. Yeah. And, and in terms of how that's reflected in, in asset markets, um, I, I think it's reasonable to expect, uh, in the short run, modest, probably very modest uh, adjustments to, to growth expectations, downwards, uh, but uh, small. Um, but the, the discount rate effect um, might be a bit greater. Uh, it introduces uncertainty into the system. It depresses medium-term growth expectations, medium-term expectations about investment, um, and uh, and and that's asset price negative. Because that that's one of the things that um, is really interesting that nobody can really anticipate what. President Trump is going to do next. So, how do companies react? Um, how do you how do you anticipate how this is going to um, play out over not just one quarter, as you say, Anna, but um, but over multiple multiple years? Charlotte, I think they're thinking through this uh, uh, as we speak. Um, so, there's some talk that perhaps you know, if you're a company producing something in China, maybe you go and move your production facilities into Taiwan or Vietnam and, and you sell them into the US there. Uh, but then maybe the secondary consideration is, oh, well, what happens if Trump decides that he doesn't want us to do that and, and comes after us in Taiwan or Vietnam? Um, and so probably it plays back really to what both Bill and Lana have said, is that you get a period of sort of doing nothing, stagnation almost, uh, on these decisions. And, and that over time is growth negative. And I think a, a useful way of, of thinking about uh, this effect um, is to try and take Trump out of the picture for a moment and, and think about US policy. Um, for uh, a number of people have suggested, and I've, I've got some sympathy with this, that even if Trump hadn't won the uh, 2016 election, the US would be taking a more aggressive stance on, on the trade front and particularly uh, with regards to China. So if you accept that US policy for several years looking forwards is likely to be uh, focused on changing the US's trading relationship with China, then one can make some judgments about how that's likely to play into financial markets. Bringing Trump back into the picture, how he zigzags around that direction of travel, frankly, that's anyone's guess. Um, and uh, I don't think anyone can say with great confidence that they know what the next move is going to be. But if you know the direction of travel, then you can some, make, make some judgments. That might be right for China, though. But if you're Europe or one of the US's historic allies, this is all coming as a bit of a shock to you. Uh, and so Trump has really made this a much more uh, a global issue 
for everyone and not just a China-specific issue. And this is why I ask about the global economy, because um, so many economies are now interlinked um, with the global economy, with the the trade that is um, travelling through many different markets, parts for different, you know, whether it's parts for phones or parts for cars, what have you. Um, It could all start to unravel, couldn't it? That's that's the, the grit in the machine. You're describing in a little more detail the efficiencies that we've uh, we've taken advantage of the last 35, 40 years. Um, if you start to tear apart those supply chains, uh, then the, the machine won't work as well as it once did. And I think also things, given the cyclical backdrop that we've talked about for the last couple of months deteriorating, things always look a bit worse through that lens. Uh, and if it wasn't for the fact that growth was already slowing, I think, as you say, markets might take a more uh, optimistic view and say, well, this isn't going to be a one-quarter effect. But it's the backdrop that colours yeah. the thinking. I th- it's I think the late cycle. Yeah, and, and, and I think there's a, an important point that Charlotte makes there. Uh, if we go back 12 or 18 months, when the cycle was swinging upwards, uh, investors are inclined to ignore longer-term negatives because the focus is on the fact that things are getting better and uh, are likely to continue to get better. Once you pass the peak uh, and the, the, the view becomes actually things are getting worse and maybe going to get worse again, then you look at those longer term influences in a slightly different way. Uh, rather than pushing them to one side, you think, oh, we're, 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 we're cyclically slowing and there are some other things that uh, don't look so good either. Yeah, that, that, that plays on investors' minds. Well, I think we all need cheering up. Um, And with delight, I announce that um, it's time to play hot cakes and hot potatoes. What would you buy like a hot cake and what would you drop like a hot potato? Uh, Charlotte, um, what are your hot cakes, first of all? I'm going to say uh, Mexican uh, currency and even the equity market. I think we've got through the the worst of the uncertainty with the elections and uh, it's a structurally healthy economy, certainly on, relative to the rest of LATAM, very synced into the US, which is still doing all right. Uh, and for could, how much longer though? <laughs> hopefully for a bit longer. Uh, and there could be some catch up to be had there. And your hot potato? European equities, probably even You don't Euro. sound very certain. <laughs> uh, no, I am certain. Um, Europe is to some extent leading the the downswing um, uh, or certainly on a DM basis it's it's one of the the worst um, performing markets Uh, it's being caught in the the headwinds of of trade and and autos which is Germany which is a big part of part of European equities and I think that's a, a problem. Okay, Anna, your hot cake. What are you enthusing about now you're back? <laughs> I'm actually going to go for um, EM equities. Emerging um, market equities. Emerging market, even though structurally um, I don't particularly um, like this asset class for a number of reasons. I think tactically, given the correction that we've already seen, um, it might be a good opportunity right now, uh, again, on a very there are worse places very to be. short-term <laughs> basis. Uh, yes, within emerging markets and outside, but uh, as, as a concept, uh, as, as an asset class, I think uh, it's attractive at this point in time. And what would you drop like a hot potato? Well, the flip side has to be the dollar. Uh, it's, it's extremely hard to have a very high conviction on the dollar right now and uh, I hear all sorts of uh, all diff- different views and different arguments um, but for EM to do well uh, the dollar has to either 
at least be stable or to weaken somewhat. And actually, I think perhaps the um, narrowing uh, of the uh, interest rate differentials, particularly between the Fed and the ECB and some other banks, uh, might um, uh, give rise to this trend at least uh, over the next few months to the end of the year. So I think a weaker dollar. Um, so sell, sell the dollar. Sell it, absolutely. Okay. And Bill, uh, your hot cake. Uh, my hot cake is actually related to um, what Anne has just described. Um, I, I think if the dollar is going to weaken, it's likely that the, the US economy is weakened. Um, and I think US Treasuries, the, uh, the 10-year bond, um, would uh, deliver positive returns against that backdrop. So uh, I'm a buyer of 10-year Treasuries. And you're a seller of? And I'm a seller of the semiconductor sector. Um, semis are famously and violently cyclical. And the last two years has been wonderful for companies in the semiconductor sector. Uh, but there are signs of uh, the fundamentals fraying. Uh, and uh, if, if that continues uh, in the vein it has the uh, the, the last few weeks, uh, then I think we could see a meaningful sell-off in semiconductors. And uh, that's an area I'd see a clear off. Triggered by that grit in the system. All right. Well, thank you very much indeed. We're out of time. I hope that's given you some insight into thinking behind this month's assets allocation. If you'd like more detail, it's published in full on our website. And if you'd like to discuss anything we've covered, just ask your Fidelity contact. Thanks very much to my guests, Anna, Charlotte and Bill, and on the phone, James, of course. And thanks to you for listening. We'll be back next month. But for now, goodbye. This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied on by private investors. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is intended only for the person or entities to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without prior permission of fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please see our website, professionals.fidelity.co.uk forward slash about hyphen fidelity.